Hello, and welcome to I Am Dad podcast with your fatherhood authority, Kenneth Braswell. 30 minutes of wisdom, information, resources, and nuggets to help you on your fatherhood journey. Or maybe you're just curious and want to hear some real talk about fatherhood, family, and the minds of men. Well, guess what? We got you too. Sit back, grab your pad and pen, and maybe even bring a little something to sip on. Enjoy 30 straight minutes of fatherhood, family, and fun with the fatherhood authority. Kenneth Braswell. Welcome to I Am Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell. Thank you for joining us another Sunday morning as we continue to elevate conversations that strengthen our families. For us, it's through a fatherhood lens. We're always trying to improve the status and the conditions of our families by strengthening them one father at a time. And there's so many different conversations to have around fatherhood. It's not just about being a dad, but it's also about all of these elements that make dad who he is, right? And to help him, to support him, to be able to be that provider um, and that nurturer that his children and his family needs. And so there's so many different um, conversations we have. And thank God, I got so many friends and levels around this country that's doing the darn thing that I get to bring them on and not only be with family, sometimes like today, be with friends other days, be with brothers and sisters other days and be with acquaintances other days, but people who really um, have done this thing. I always tell people, in fact, I was talking to someone today and we was talking about making sure that you get in counsel from the right person. And I was telling my daughter, there's nothing like listening to someone tell you about how to get good credit whose credit is jacked up and they got a 450 or someone who is trying to teach you how to be a millionaire and they still living in an apartment. I'm not trying to get that news. I need to see you 10 times elevated from where it is I'm trying to get to in order to be able to lock into what it is um, I'm looking to do. And that's this individual we're going to be talking to today, Mr. Lamar Tyler. Using his model, the gatekeepers are gone. Lamar has leveraged digital marketing to move his online brands from small personal blogs to an international brand with over 700,000 social media fans and 60,000 plus customers in all 50 states and 43 countries around the world. Amongst the recognition received for his work, Lamar, along with his wife, Ronnie, um, has been named one of Ebony Magazine's Power 100, a list of the 100 movers and shakers in the black community, finalist for the Black Enterprise Family Business of the Year, finalist for the Infusion Soft Small Business Icon Award, and winners of the ClickFunnels to Comma Award. Additionally, in 2001 and 2022, Lamar's company, Tyler New Media, was ranked on the Inc. INC period 5,000 list of the country's fastest growing private companies and won the ClickFunnels 2 comma X award for doing nearly 10 million in sales using the ClickFunnels software platform. He's the winner of the ClickFunnels Bootstraps 2022 Entrepreneur of the Year Award in coaching and consulting. And his most recent win is the Black Enterprise Magazine's 2023 Disruptor of the Year Award. Man, brother, how you doing? <laughs> Good, man. Thank you for having me on. Excited, excited to be here. Usually I don't read people's bio through, but I was like, people need to know. You need to know. And by the time you finish listening to this podcast, you're going to know. Because I listen to this brother. I watch him. 
Um, like my friend Michelle always say, I'm a low-level stalker of certain people, and I'm a low-level stalker of this cat. Like, he sees me show up every now and then when I want him to see me, but for the vast amount of time, you don't see me, but I'm shadowing him, I'm watching you, I'm listening to you, I'm grabbing my nuggets, I'm moving away, and I know I got to put some coin on picking your brain and taking your stuff and moving with him. But, man, I just sat on a... a, a, a training that he hosted the other day. And we're going to talk about this a little bit around this whole notion of AI. And I walked away from that thing, man. I am so accelerated right now. It's ridiculous. I am trying to harness all the things that I have the ability now to do just based on the little bit of information that I sat there long enough to get. Cause you know, when you start hearing good stuff, you can't wait for it all. Like it's the whole cake. You, you, you eat that first slice and you get crazy. You just start getting up and running. It's like, there was a whole cake there. Why didn't you eat? I ain't got no time for the whole cake. I'll, I'll come back and get the rest of the cake later. How you doing? And how's life treating you? Uh, doing good, man. Doing good. You know, life, life is going well. Um, uh, our kids, you know, we got four kids, kids are growing, business is growing, uh, marriage is growing. My wife, right. This will be 18 years this year. Right. So we're coming up on 20 right around the corner. So things are going well all across the board. Yeah. We, um, I was uh, talking to David Miller some time ago about you and we were talking about, I know my first time I saw you was at a conference in Hampton. And I think it was okay. a marriage yeah. fatherhood conference. And it was the first time I saw it. I actually have pictures of you and Ronnie. And I have video from that from oh, that wow. presentation, too. I got to <laughs> find it. I got to share it with you. Throwback. When I there. <laughs> but I was like, man, this brother is dynamic. And at that time, many of us was just starting out in the spaces mm-hmm. that we were starting out in, trying to find our way, trying to click into our purpose, trying to really find out what God was trying to do in our lives, which is why I'm so proud of you. And I just want to tell you, man, I am so like, like my heart smiles every time I see you. Every time I, 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 me and my wife always talk about, remember when Lamar and Ronnie came to our office and we was talking about like, where are we going to go? What we're going to do? I said, yeah. And I was like, and he just took off, but we both took off in two different directions, which is why I love our relationship with our brother Jenks, because we need to, we come back every now and then just to remind ourselves not so much where we're going, but more remind ourselves where we come from and where we came from. But what I like to do, Lamar, before I start talking and getting deep into the conversation is I ask all my guests to tell me their daddy story. So it could be from the perspective of your relationship or whatever your relationship, non or with your relationship with your father, or it could be from you as the father, or it could be both. However you want to tell your daddy story, tell it. Sure, yeah, I, I do I do a combination of both. I grew up um with not having my father. I knew who my father was. I saw him not having him around a lot. Uh, I think him and my mom got divorced. I probably was like two or three. I was the youngest of three boys. I was two or three. Uh, he later got remarried. So maybe I remember I, we probably were active until maybe around somewhere between like eight and 11 years old. And I remember from then, that's when he kind of disassociated had, you know, some more kids. That's when I see him as much. That's when like the calls wasn't as frequent. That's when it'd be like, oh, hold up. My birthday and I ain't here from the dude. You know, like that type of thing went. And, and it, you know, uh, created a further path. Um, and then now I am the father of four. Uh, my wife, Ronnie, who I mentioned earlier, uh, we got a blended family with the step family. So when we got married, she had two kids. 
uh, that were what, like around, I think we started dating, they were like around 11 and two. So uh, we got married about two or three years later. So now our son is 30, that daughter is 21. And then we got two other children we had together who are um, 17 and 15. So we got like, you know, the full range, got like a grown man, we got like two still in high school. But but if I can add to it, like the, the third paradigm of that, which is funny, Ken, I was having a conversation the other day and creating some content around social media and the person interviewing me had asked me something about growing up or, or um, my father or something like that. And I told her, like, even though my dad wasn't always present, I still had a strong male presence. And that male mm -hmm. presence was through my grandfather. And mm -hmm. my grandfather was the patriarch of the family. My grandfather was chairman of the deacon board at the Baptist church. You know what I'm saying? He was like, uh, not just a, a great guy in our family, a great guy in the community. And mm -hmm. I'll never forget when he passed, one of the things that stuck with me then, and this was probably 98, maybe 97, 98. Just like a while, just a while back, almost, you know, almost just 27, almost 30 years ago. Um, was at that funeral me saying that's the kind of man I want to be because wow. hearing the words people spoke over him hearing the impact that he had hearing the, the the way he moved which some things were public some things were not you know gave me the measure of what manhood was and I, I never forgot that not to this day wow you know and I often tell people and you know I talk to me and Tracy talk about you from now and then because she's she low she low level stalks you as well and so she, <laughs> you know Shout out to was talking about such and such tonight, and it's like, yeah, I was like, I missed that. But one of the things I know about you, brother, is like, and that people don't know about Lamar, is that the vast majority of gifts and talents that I know he has, you guys don't even see. Like, you don't see him. Like, I know he has these other gifts and talents that if he was going through those tracks in lives, he would be just phenomenal in those spaces. But I think that's what God does with individuals like you and me and others like that who have a multiplicity of gifts. It allows us to be fluid. It allows us to be flexible. It allows us to be able to do things outside of the box that we typically wouldn't do it if we learned it a different way. And right. so when you think about your path and journey to where you are now, particularly as you begun your where I met you and really having a conversation and a love for talking about relationships and marriage and talking about that space. Talk about how you got there. And then later on, we'll kind of get from there as to how you emerged and moved into the space you're in today. Yeah. Uh, great question. So I'm a big believer in everything in life that we see, that we face, that we go through kind of prepares us for where we are today. And, and in that story, that's exactly what happened. Uh, you know, I worked um, at a TV station, right? Fox 5 in DC. And when I worked at Fox 5 in DC, around that time, they were saying, hey, we need to get on the web. We need to do more. We need to, you know, have a bigger presence because they kind of came late. And when they came, Rupert Murdoch, he bought MySpace, which was big, but it was MySpace was already dead. Um, mm -hmm. So all the local stations were doing different sites and things. And I went to my GM, I had an issue of Black Enterprise Magazine. They had an article that was saying Prince George's County, Maryland, was the number one place, right, for blacks if you wanted to start a business. So I went to him, who, who he was not black, but I went to him and I said, hey, you know what? I think it's an opportunity here. I think we can create a website of news content specifically towards the African-American community. I said, I'll do it. I had my homegirl, Micheline, in the newsroom. We had all the connects. We had one other sister, Tracy. Like, we was like, hey, we're like, we're like, we'll do it on our own. 
we just got a passion for it. We'll create it. We'll make it happen. We did it. It was a site called My Voice DC. We blew the site up, but the station and the people that worked there could just never see the vision of the thing. And can mm. just, just the real, real. Can I can I share the real story with your people? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just the real. I like. I don't normally get my like. Hold on, well, I ain't heard of this part. I don't share a lot. So uh, we launch it. We blow it up. We the first mass market media publication with a site focused on the black community. Just before the root, before the griot, before all that stuff. But the problem is they couldn't see the vision. So um, we are crushing it, right? Each each site is it was like twenty two owned and operated uh, television stations across the Fox network. Um, each station had about four websites. We were in the top five of all websites across the 20-something stations. You're talking about like out of 80 websites, just one that we put together for free. Like I built the page, like Michelin did all mm-hmm. the connects, like Tracy was <laughs> uh, uh, was helping, and, you know, uh, pulling in content and stuff. Like this one that was a passion project, one of the tops, because we just knew how to connect with the audience. But again, I kept pushing ideas, kept getting shot down, pushing ideas, getting shot down because people didn't have a vision. And one day I went home and told my wife, Ronnie, you know, I'm no longer going to give her my million dollar ideas. We're going to create a million dollar business. Wow. And, and that was really the beginnings of it. So we said, hey, you know, what can we do? We said, let's start a blog. At the time, this is uh, December 2007. We were hearing people talking about blogs. We know nobody making money from one. We heard like one time on 60 Minutes, I heard it might have been somebody in California making money. But it wasn't realistic back then. And as you know, anybody who's been around, information was not available like it is today on how to be successful, how to be an entrepreneur, how to leverage. So none of that stuff was out there. So we said, what's something people passionate about? Relationships. We said, let's go deeper. What about relationships? Let's look at, you know, marriage. Let's go deeper. What about marriage? Look at black marriage. And let's look at how it's viewed inside and outside of our community. We knew a lot of times that when people were getting uh, engage and we went into a room or somebody came in and said, hey, I'm getting married. People say, don't make the same mistake I did. Uh, mm-hmm. You sure you want to do that? You know, you like, you need to think about it again. All these negative things on what should be a person's happiest day of their life, one of the happiest days of their life when they're sharing this information. The other thing is we said, hey, we want to promote the message of black fatherhood because we said, not only do we know that there are black fathers in the home, but oftentimes they taking care of their kids and somebody else's kids, but mm-hmm. they never represented. And at, the, at that time in the media, there was a lot of conversation around black women and why are they single and the single black woman, you know, uh, Dateline, Dateline did a <laughs> live town hall forum from Atlanta. All right, had celebrities there, it was like a big deal. And it was called like the single black woman, who's the blame? Mm-hmm. I told anybody, like, whenever you see who's to blame, like, they, they ain't looking for answers, right? So we, we launched a website, blackandmarriedwithkids.com. It took off. We had a lot of people say, hey, I've been married 20, 30 years. I never see myself represented. We had singles that came and said, my parents were married 40, 50 years. I never see couples like them in the news, in the media, in the TV. So we just hit a vein. It was a need there, and that thing blew up. So we went to, uh, at one point, we had 40-plus freelance writers. We were doing... Uh, 300 something thousand readers every month. So we've been doing about a million people per quarter, you know, working with a lot of America's largest brands. They wanted to reach black families, they had to go through us. But it really just started as a passion project. It started as seeing a need, an opportunity, right? Like, hey, nobody's talking to this audience. They're hungry for this kind of content. And we created it. And it went from in the beginning, me and Ronnie just telling our story to then us bringing other people to tell their stories and then bringing in experts uh, to then even the 
uh, creating products and resources to help couples because it went from us just sharing stories of marriage to people coming to us just saying, hey, my relationship is hurt. My marriage is hurting. I'm not being the best mom or dad. And then us being able to connect professionals and resources and like I said, courses, programs, products, films, eventually to those actual couples and individuals to make them better. So, so now you, so, so you're moving from that space because that's where I become, that's where I get intrigued, right? With respect to your path. Because one of the things I want you to kind of touch on within that story that you were just alluding to, one of the things that resonated in what you just said was, or, and one of the things that I see in your path is that it wasn't orchestrated, but you followed the crumbs. Like you, you, right. you followed the crumbs and you stopped and you asked questions when you got to a crumb before you moved on to the next one. So it allowed you to evolve in a way that didn't take you off course from who you are and what you was trying to do. That's why it's really intrigued. It's, it's intriguing when someone gets to a space and I say, well, and they said, yeah, what's he doing now? I said, yeah, you know, he's doing a lot of stuff with business. But like, how do he get there? Like when he like, <laughs> like when you understand that mindset, you don't ask that question. You know how you get there. But, but if you could for a second, for someone who's really trying to follow their path and really have not defined where they're going, but they need to kind of follow at least what's in front of them. How do you commit to that without veering off because of things that pull your attraction or pull your attention that you think you should be going that way, but you shouldn't? What was that thing that you had that allowed you to be able to read your your breadcrumbs in the right way? You know, that, that's a great question because what it boils down to is two things, uh, focus and growth. And one of the things you talked about, like where we started is not where we're at now. Um, that brand I was just talking about, we actually did an exit and sold it in 2022 to two of our clients. The majority of the time we spend now is on a brand um, where we teach African-American entrepreneurs how to grow and scale their companies. But even that was just organic because we grew Black and Mary Kids so fast and so big in front of other people. Then we had people coming to us every day saying, hey, teach me how to do that, right? And, and I was even more passionate about entrepreneurship and using entrepreneurship as a way to close the wealth gap. So how we got there can a lot of, you know, probably the number one thing I see that holds people up uh, or number to top two things. One, people are what I call paralyzed perfectionists. And they get mm. so stuck on thinking that everything has to be perfect that they can never take the first step, right? Mm. The other half of that, right, for people that aren't paralyzed perfectionists, but they can't get moving a lot of times, is people where they feel like in order for me to move, I got to be able to see 100 yards down the field all the way to that other end zone. And that's mm. not how life works. And that's showing how entrepreneurship and business, you know this yourself, right? Like, we ain't got to go into this. So that's not how this works. Like how it, and I tell people all the time, the analogy that's proper is I'm not going to see 100 yards down. I'm going to see maybe five or 10. And then it's going to be foggy or murky beyond that. But the thing is, once I go that five or 10 yards down, then guess what? I can see the next five or 10. And it's my job then to get just 10 yards down and then figure out, okay, I need to go left two steps. Get another 10 yards and say, okay, I need to make a hard right. 
go another 10 yards and say, okay, I need to go diagonal a little bit. But as long as I'm moving forward, I'm going to get to where I'm supposed to get to. Too many people get stuck because either they're trying to be perfect or, again, they're trying to figure out what the whole path is before they even get started on the journey. Mm -hmm. The other cool thing about what you're saying, and now we're getting into the meat of where I wanted you to help me kind of tease out and help, particularly for the fathers that we're serving. A lot of our dads, they're working gig jobs and they're working Mm -hmm. these things. They got this dream. They want to do something else. They're trying to figure out how to be outside of the box. They want to be all kinds of things. They want to own their businesses. And when I talk to many of them, I always start with like, there's this curriculum that I want to develop and it's going to be an entrepreneurship entrepreneurship curriculum, but it's going to have a different twist to it, Lamar, in that most curriculums that talk about entrepreneurship really is the how-to. How do you structure your business? What do you need Mm -hmm. to operate it? Blah, 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 blah. I did a session with my daughter about two years ago. She came in here because she wanted to know how to start a business. And I said, come in, we're going to spend three days in the office and we're going to walk through this thing. But I need for you to understand something before you decide to open your business. And what I walked her through is a process that allowed her to figure out whether or not she was ready to start a business, not how to start a business, but to figure out, are you ready to do this? Because it makes no sense in me teaching you how to start one if you don't understand what a business is and you don't have an entrepreneurial spirit because it takes a particular type of character to be a successful entrepreneur. And so when you are walking folks down the line of really helping them understand businesses and people are coming to you for the first time, how can you tell up front whether or not someone is ready for business? The people, um, for one, for one, before we get to like what the business is, a lot of it's mindset. Because as you know, if they're looking for a quick hit, most of the time business ain't it. Like nothing's sustainable, right? Now you might like, you know, be able to turn some quick cash doing this or that, but I'm talking about like something sustainable that can make a big difference. Probably ain't gonna be something that's real quick, super fast. Uh, it's going to be something that you got to be dedicated to. And mm-hmm. when I say dedicated to it, that means dedicating time. That means sometimes dedicating funds or money or resources for you to, you know, get a hold of what you need to get a hold of, for you to get some type of expertise in it so you can really get moving with it. Um, but but like that's it. You got to be able to invest those two things, right? Time and or money got to go into it. The other thing is when I'm talking about investing, I'm talking also investing singular focus. Because too many times people have what I call fractured focus, where they're looking at 50 different things. And because they're dabbling in, you know, five or 10, 15 different things, they can't really get serious about one and have success mm. in one. And I know mm. one one of the train of thoughts, or I'll give you two quick things, I think that slows us down from doing that is number one is the internet. Because the internet is savage. Because every time you turn around on the internet, somebody telling you that you ain't got to do no work, that you can just do this, do that, and boom, you're going to be rich, Right. So mm-hmm. like like that's dangerous in and of itself when people start to believe that. And then what you find is, you know, you go around the circle trying to find all these quick hits and you just don't get there, get to where you need. The other piece is the conversation around multiple streams of income, because a lot of times, again, right, we're figuring in order to get multiple streams, we got to have multiple hustles. But Ken, when I call that a lot of times it don't equate to multiple streams of income, it equate to what I call multiple streams of struggle. 
Because when you mm. got them streams and them streams ain't streaming, like you ain't making enough money from it, right? Like, like that really ain't nothing. Because again, you got to build one thing. So when I look at them, I'm saying, okay, they focused on what that one thing is. That one thing that they want to build and they want to do what's going to be required to get it to market. Um, do they have great ideas around it, right? Or do they think like people just going to drop in their lap? Because again, as you know as well, like people are not just running up to you trying to figure out what you got to sell that they can buy. I got to know who I'm talking to. I got to know how I'm talking to them. I got to have an offer that connects with them. They're willing to actually purchase. And then I got to be willing, again, to know that, hey, the first time I come up with something, it may not hit. But do I have the the diligence, right, and the grit to keep pushing through to make it happen? Mm -hmm. Now, the other layer in this, right, is what you and I are also passionate about. And that's uplifting and serving black people. Correct. So you layer on top of everything that you just said. And you layer that I'm dealing with black people. There's a nuance that comes in that space with respect to how we do business, what we've been conditioned to do, um, how we have not had patience, right? In getting to where we want because we want that quick fix because we need things fixed now. We don't have time to wait five years. We don't have time to wait 10 years. We don't have time to watch stock grow, right? That That's not, that's, that, that's, you, you talk to people, that's a white man's way of making money, watching stock grow. I don't have time to make, I don't have time to watch my savings account grow. I don't have time to watch my mutual fund to grow. I'm trying to flip a property so I can spend money. I could go fix this thing and turn it over and see my check in my, in my account the next day. And so when you look at like that impatience, particularly of people of color, particularly more specifically black people who walk into business that really walk into not with this idea of creating a business that's going to allow them not only to sustain um, their families and sustain their, um, and sustain their livelihood, but build their calling and their purpose in life, but they got this other motive for starting a business that's not sustainable. How do you encourage, or at least, how do you encourage or at least uh, uh, move them into understanding that your priorities up front ain't right and you need to fix those before you move any further? Yeah, that's that's something I see often. I actually was, was uh, going through some research and data last month for an event we had. And it was talking about how in the black community, like the majority of black entrepreneurs when asked, said they created their business to actually help or serve other people, right? So like mm -hmm. where people were like, not only when we create something like, hey, we wanna make money, but we actually wanna help people because I found like a lot of us in our backstory, it's been some time when people helped us or the community came and rallied for us. Now, the problem we can always talk about is, a lot of times people try to make their mission their business. Mm -hmm. That's why we got so many. I know people come to you all the time, like how in the world do you have a nonprofit that is sustainable, that you've been able to, 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 to uh, feed you and your family and, and other families and have events and help people with this stuff? Because I think we got more broke nonprofits in the black community than any, any other place in the world, right? <laughs> because, I don't know if this is conversation supposed to be, I, don't, I, might, I might get yeah, drunk. Go ahead. This, this is where I want to be. <laughs> But I tell people all the time, because a lot of times we're trying to burden our mission with too much. And that's one of the things that, are, that amazes me about you. Mm. And I'm just so enamored with, right? It's how you took something that you're passionate about in this fatherhood piece and it built something so massive in an area where a lot of people can't, right? 
Um, something like we did with marriage, right? It's like a lot of people do marriage stuff, but they can't get one person to invest one dime in their own, you know, relationship, right? To make it do it. So I know it takes something special to make it do it. And it takes a special vision with that. Uh, but, you know, I, I remember I, I was in an event and they wanted me to uh, do some on the spot coaching for a woman. And it was a woman talking about how she really wanted to help low income mothers because she had been one. And, you know, people helped her and it gave her a new lease on life. So she really wanted to help these low income mothers to change everything. So she had a nonprofit that was doing this financial education. And I was like, so what's the product? So the product was these financial courses that were going to show them how to get out of the situation they were in. Mm-hmm. But I was like, who are you selling it to? I'm selling it to the low income mother. And I'm like, low income mothers ain't got no income to buy your stuff, what? right? So, <laughs> so it literally was going through a process. And I was like, like your heart is in the right place, right? Cause you got a heart of service. You want to serve our community. But again, does the the business side of that line up with that? Because it, even though she was talking about a nonprofit, a nonprofit still was a business, right? right. So yeah. what does that look like? And it, it even was was a transformation of really getting her to see. Too many times I hear people say, "Well, you know, I'm not really really interested in making money. I'm interested in helping people." Well, if you make more money, you can help more people. Mm-hmm. And that's what I tried to show her. I, I said, "What's your dream? If you could do anything for these women, what would you do?" She said, "Well, I would have an event." I said, well, if you had an event, what would that event look like? I'd have something online and do blah, 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 blah. I said, well, let's take it offline. What would happen if you did it in person? Oh, that would be great. You know, the women would be blessed and they would be blah, 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 blah. I said, well, let's take it a step further. What would happen if it wasn't like 10 women, but you could do it in person for 100 women? Would that be an impact? Yes, Lamar. Well, forget if we did it 100 in California. What if we did it for 100 and we did it in the Bahamas? You had the money and the funds to fly those women in from LA to the Bahamas, do you think that would change their life and change just their view and perspective of everything? It definitely will. Guess what? That's going to take money. That's why we got to learn how to actually get access to funds, capital, money, right? Whether it's going to do business, whether it's through our nonprofit, no matter what it is, we got to get focused on it and knowing that, hey, I got to sell something to somebody, right? I say all the time, Mm -hmm. selling is serving. So whether I'm selling the fact that the works I'm going to do are going to be transformational and I'm selling some type of entity to government, private investors, whatever it may be on that, whether I'm selling straight, you know, uh, B2C, direct to consumer, whether I'm selling, you know, B2B, I got to sell the idea and concept to somebody to make them want to invest in me and the people I'm trying to invest in. Yeah. The other space I want you to go into is this whole need to invest in yourself. Before we, I, I take you there, I want to walk you through a little bit because you said something that kind of triggered. And I, to your point, man, we talking and I don't talk a lot about Fathers Incorporated and where we are and how we got to where we are because I've just been so guarded because, you know, when you let out too much information, people find a way to come at you. Um, I'm not afraid of that anymore because you can't come at me, but I still have gotten that hold it close to the vest kind of thing. And so when I look at how we have been able to do what we've done. One of the things I remember is I remember talking to an individual and we were talking about federal grants and he said, the best money to spend is not yours. He says, when you can get money to spend to build your kingdom and it's not yours, that's the best money to use. And he said, the best place to get that money from is the government. He says that people do it all the time. You just have to figure out how to do it. And I said, yeah, I'm looking at these grants and I want to get, he's like, that money is not in grants. It's there, but it's not in grants. It's in contracts. Mm. 
Mm. He says, but the issue with contracts is that when you get a federal contract, you got to have capital to be able to do the work so you can get in the stream to be able to pull down the dollars that people pull down. There are multi-million, million, million-dollar consulting companies across the country whose sole work is in government contracts. And I said, that's where I want to go. That's where I want to head. I want to do that. I want to learn how to do that. And so when we got that contract in 2010 to oversee the National Responsible Fatherhood Clearinghouse, by the way, we still have it 13 years later. The thing that I've never said to people is how much money we've managed since 2000 and since 2000 and 2010 to today. The total amount of money that we've managed under contract for HHS is $77 million. Wow. And we're on a bridge right now to go over $100 million. We're probably the only black not-for-profit fatherhood agency that has managed that much money for the federal government under whatever. And that is what funded my freedom. The fees and the money that comes down from that, that is unencumbered, that doesn't have to go anywhere except for where I wanted to go, but is what has fed my work in Fathers Incorporated along with other things. And now we've diversified it on both sides, but in addition to having a not-for-profit, we also created a for-profit entity and we created an LLC to be able to apply for more contracts under different under different mechanisms of SBA. SBA. So I had to learn about 8A and I had to work, learn about small business. And I had to learn about minority-owned business. And I had to worry about veteran-owned business and I had to apply for these things and I had to fill out these long forms and all these just to, to get in position so that when those things turn up, if we had the capability of doing them, applying for them wasn't a big, huge thing. And I had people come to me and say, like, how do you get that contract? I was like, it's not easy. Like y'all think you just roll up and the application is like 10 pages. It's not. It's 300 pages. And I have to hire three to four people to help us do all of that paperwork every time we renew that, that thing. And once you do it for so long, now what I understand is the longer you have a federal contract, the more you're grandfathered in because you become part of the system. And so in order for me not to have it now, I literally have to give it away because there's nobody who has the capability of doing it um, seamlessly, meaning that if I stepped out, it would cost the government five times as much to get back to where we were if they ever got back to where we were, which they're not trying to do. And so it locks it. It locks you in. But when you think about the folks that you're talking about, particularly our people, um, when they begin to start thinking about um, businesses, um, how do you manage and regulate their enthusiasm about going the quick way, right? Because they want it, they just, they just want it the quick, if it's not Bitcoin, it's, 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 it's you know, it's, 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 you know, when, when we was growing up, it was um, ACN, I think that's what it was, right. it was ACN mm-hmm. and it was every time a quick, a get quick money scheme comes up, you see this movement of black entrepreneurs in particular move with it. Now you're always gonna see your ones and twos do very well with it. They're gonna become wealthy and they're gonna move on. But in terms of the masses, you don't see that happening. How do you slow them down enough 
to understand that part of that secret is in taking time to invest in yourself an education that allows you to understand the system in whole before you move before you move forward and just taking care and dealing in parts. Yeah, I, what I think it is, I think it's what you just did over the last few minutes, right? Which is education. Like for one, uh, our community needs to see that there are people that look like them in positions of power that are making deals, that are making things happen. So, so one, they just know that even exists, right? Because a lot of things I always say, one of the things I always say is that, hey, you know, we're still playing checkers, while a lot <laughs> of times, right, majority communities are playing chess. Wow. So, you know, like it's a lot of times we can't play the right game because we don't even know what the real game is or mm. that this game over here exists. So the importance of, of a person like you um, that's gotten to a place where a lot, a lot of us are, then you bring that knowledge back to the community and they say, hey, you know what? If that brother did, he like, hold up. He kind of looked like me. You know what I'm saying? Kind of dressed like me. He, he got <laughs> swagger like me. So hold up, if he can do it, then it just kind of plant a seed to hope maybe I can do it too. And then once they get that, then the next level of just believing in yourself is, hey, then I got to get the education. So that education, here's the part, and I think you mentioned something about this before. Along with that education, a lot of times, that education ain't going to be free. Now, I know we're accustomed to everything just a Google or a YouTube away, but a lot of times you got to invest in yourself to get that type of knowledge, that type of education. Uh, You know, one of my favorite things I've heard, my good friend, uh, Marshawn Evans-Daniels, she was on an interview with my guy, Paul Carrick Brunson, and Paul asked her, hey, Marshawn, like, what about mentorship? What does that look like? You were big on mentorship. And she said, well, Paul, sometimes you got to buy a mentor. And when she said Mm. that, it literally just opened up my world because I realized in life too many times somebody is sitting there waiting for us uh, or we're sitting there waiting for somebody to come and pick us and say, you know what? I like that suit you got on. Let me come show you how <laughs> you can manage $77 million over the next X amount of years. And that ain't how it happened, right? A lot of times it's you investing in a coach, in a consultant, it's you investing in a conference and being in the right room with the right people. It's, it's like something had to happen for that to actually get there, right? Now, once we get there, you know, for your son, he not gonna have to make the same investments you made because you've created a path for him. Right. And that's what that whole generational piece is really about. I tell people all the time, I'm not I'm not so bent on leaving my kids my business. What I want to leave them is the fruits of the business, Mm. the financial money and stuff. Right. The investments, the real estate, most importantly, the connections, all the people that me and their mother are connected to. Right. Like like the the mentality and things that we've learned so they don't have to keep repeating and doing the same thing over and over again because we already figured out those things the hard way so they don't have to. Like, I think that's the real, real piece of it. So it's like getting, hey, your mindset first, hey, you can do it. Like, it's nothing that as people we can't do and seeing, hey, there's other people doing it, I can do it too. But then beyond that saying, once I realize I can do it, then I got to invest again, time and or money. Sometimes, a lot of times, both, right? Into learning what I need to learn to do it and then being focused. Because for you to get those things, like you said, it ain't like filling out an application. <laughs> you know, I don't want to get down to federal government. I'm going to manage all y'all stuff. Let me, I got to do the front and the back. Okay, cool. Let me submit this in. Now, nah, that, that ain't what it looked like. Um, you're going to have to show that you actually confident to actually do the work. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. once you do it, you had to keep showing them every year that every what happened year. with the money and that you, so so all of that, a lot goes into that. 
But that's like even getting to that point to where they say yes, even get to the point where you consider, right? Too many times, and this is the last thing I'll say on this, too many times we get disqualified because we can't even get to the point of consideration. We can't right. get to the point where we fill out all the things. We can't get to the point where our paperwork is straight. We can't get to the point, you know, when, when COVID happened and, and for once we had the opportunity to tap into funds like everybody else always been getting forever, too many times businesses from our community couldn't do it because they had their financials right. They didn't have right. balance sheets. They didn't have profit and loss statement. They didn't have the core fundamental things they needed to even be in the game. So, you know, all that's important and ties together. Yeah, I was going to go down that rabbit trail, the money management side, because, you know, it also is the first place that when you do start making money, if you're not keeping your money right, it's the first place they come at you, right? If your that's money right. Right, that's how they tear you down. But that's a whole nother podcast. We won't go in that space about that. <laughs> I, I will. Right. If, if I could say one, because you did, you reminded me of something you said earlier. Um when you said you were talking to somebody and they were talking about, hey, like using other people's money and stuff like that. Another thing I found is that too many times small business owners and specifically small business owners of color and black small business owners, we treat our business money like our personal money. And mm -hmm. again, right, I'm going back to mindset. Too many of us have been trained, you know, from, from little kids, hey, like you don't want to be in debt. Hey, you should owe no man nothing. Hey, you know, you don't, you don't want to have anybody else's stuff because then you won't be responsible for it, nothing good can come of that. Like all these things that we repeat and run through our mind. I mm -hmm. went to executive education program up at uh, Dartmouth College, right? Tough, Ivy League education. I'm a dude with a high school diploma. I'm up there. I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> but <laughs> one of the professors, I'm taking a financial class. Professor, he picked my financials out of everybody in the class. So the next day, he, you know, he went over that night. The next day he came to class and he was comparing Walmart uh, who was it? I think CVS and then my company, Tyler Media. So you mm -hmm. say, this is what Walmart financials look like. This is what CVS do and Tyler Media, based on who they are, where they at, what the business is, this how their percentages and numbers look. And he gave me flying, you know, A's, right? Remarks across everything the company was doing except for one area. He said, all your, your cash flow look good, your revenue look good, your profit look good. You know, he said, for, for companies, that do what you do, you are excelling, except for one spot, and that one spot is leverage. And I said, what is leverage? He said, leverage is when you use other people's money, right, that mm -hmm. OPM. And he said, if you've been able to do what you've been able to do all by yourself, if you actually leverage other people's money, you'd be exponentially larger. And again, I found that, hey, that, that old mindset of treating business money like personal money, right, the mm -hmm. mindset of Hey, you know, a lot of times the way we were raised, people did the, the best they could do with what they knew. But what they knew, right, they might not have known how to run a seven-figure or multi-seven-figure, eight-figure business. Like, they might not have known how to handle the type of deals that we're doing now. So you can't apply old thinking to a new portion and section of your life. Absolutely. Um, as we kind of round off, I got two things. Uh, one is this thing I want to hear your thoughts on. The other one is around this AI, because I think it's a conversation yeah. that continues to need to be elevated, particularly for people of color, for several different reasons. But I've been thinking about this, Lamar, as you kind of talk about generational wealth. And if you look at the landscape of Black billionaires, we probably would be correct in saying that we have more black billionaires today than we've ever had in history. Definitely. 
What I worry about those black billionaires, and here's why I worry about them, because I've been listening or was listening to some of the dialogue that Shaq has had about his money and his kids, where he has said, um, this ain't your money. This is my money. Go out and make your own money. I believe that's a millionaire mentality, not a billionaire mm. Someone took me through a calculated illustration the other day of millions versus billions. And they said, how long spending 30, spending 30,000 a month, how long would it take to run out of your million dollars? And it was like three months. No, it was like three months. It was like, it was like 30 months. It was 30 months. You'll run out of it spending 30,000, spending 30,000 a month. And then he said, how long would it take you to run out of it if you had a billion? And the number was 247 years. <laughs> wow. Basically what they were saying is when you have billions of dollars, if you're running it the right way, you never run out of money. In fact, you continue to make more money and more money that sustains your generational wealth for the entirety of your family line. And I often wonder, given what Shaq is saying and also knowing where he came from, because he didn't come from money, right? He, 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 he came from where he came from into basketball and he landed in money and then he was following a blueprint or path based on what he saw and based on how his stepfather had trained him to always be frugal in his money. But I often wonder, um, Lamar, whether or not collectively people like uh, um, Jay-Z, Beyonce, 50 is not yet a billion, but he's close. Dre, um, uh, uh, Kanye, uh, and those like them, Rihanna, understand the responsibility that they have having that kind of generational wealth so that that wealth continues to not only build on their families, but sustain the families and communities around them. I don't know why that's frightening me so much because I know the concept that you can't run out of the money, but the question is, are you astute enough to utilize that money so that you're building your community at the same time without giving handouts? Yeah, that's, that's a great commentary. And I think um, what I would love or hope, hope to see, right? Because a lot of times we don't know everything people got going on. But what I would love to see too is at those levels, and all those people you name are highly connected individuals, right? Um, like what Shaq is doing in business is crazy because but he's like connected in with some people that is showing him like that that path and with the right people doing the right thing at the right time. He's killing it. But what I would love to see too is the education because they've learned a level of things that again, right? Would, would they learn at the billion dollar level? It's a different game than just just million dollar level. But what I also <laughs> know is that hey. Like in business, once you build a six-figure business, it's easy to build another six-figure business. Like mm -hmm. once you get one to seven, like once you got the blueprint for something, it's easy to do that thing again. So what I hope, what I would love, and I've even thought about this before, but what I would love to see is 
the information and education that they've all received, right? If mm -hmm. we could, at the community, if they could hand that down to the community, because they're in some rooms, and a lot of times that celebrity gets them in rooms that otherwise they probably would not be in. You know what I mean? Like even even if they had the same type of money, but some from somewhere else, they probably wouldn't be in some of those rooms that they're in otherwise. But that's what I would hope come from it is some of that education of that game, right? Of those people there in rooms with that are playing chess, bringing that mm -hmm. back down to the community and people so we can learn from it. We can implement some of those things and get to the same stages faster. But I, I love that's that. And, and I do, and I, and I, I do, I think um, I know where Shaq is coming from. Because one of the things that I, I hear a lot, even not on the Shaq, on just like the everyday average Joe level out here, is since uh, a lot of us have gone further than, you know, anybody else in our family, right? And that's as it should, right? Your grandparents hopefully set up your parents, your parents set you up. So hopefully we're advancing the ball down the field. But as we do it, I think there's also that fear that, hey, when I look back, a lot of things that made me came out of adversity and struggle. So if my kids don't have any adversity and struggle, I'm afraid they won't have that grit. They won't have the hustle I have, the determination I have. You know, you from New York, Ken. I know New York has me yeah. like, you know, I got the hustle from New York now. You, you know, your son down here. I mean, I be following along, right? You know, the, the <laughs> y'all traveling with AAU, you know, getting the best of practice. <laughs> that brother look like, you know, probably no outdoors, probably all hardwood game, you know, living a good life in Georgia. A different exists, but that's why we do it. Like, that's why we work so hard was right. to provide that at the same time. But but I think a lot of us had that fear of like, hey, like, how are they going to have that? But but then again, I look at somebody like Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook, like that dude didn't have a struggle life and he's still one of the world's <laughs> richest people. Right. So right. so I think we got to again, we got to lose that mentality that we have that everything have to come through struggling. Like you said, look at how can we really leverage and set up our families in the best way moving forward. Right. Yeah. But I love, you know, when I, you know, I love what I see Jay-Z and Beyonce doing with Blue Ivy. Yes. They set her up. They're not like to your point, they're not just giving their money, but they're setting it up that this young lady is going to be making her own money. Um, I love, I'm sure yeah. Kanye has something to do with this. I love what Kim Kardashian is doing with Northwest or East North whatever her, her name is, but they're setting up these businesses for these. Serena did the same thing for her daughter. She set up two businesses for her daughters and they're beginning to think, I think that is that mentality that you're talking about. Even if you don't educate the community right now, make sure you educate your kids, make sure that they're understanding the responsibility they have for this legacy so that they understand it when they're old enough to manage this money and manage this wealth, they can manage it in the, in the right way. And so that's what kind of concerns me a little bit, whether or not the collective of all of them, the LeBrons, the Jordans, the Kathy Hughes, I know gets it Oprah and that whole body of people who are now in that stratosphere. How are you taking what you have learned now that you're there and allowing that to permeate itself down without just giving people money through foundations. That's not what, that should happen yeah. too. And, and, and I'll tell you the perfect example of that is who you just mentioned, Miss Kathy Hughes, right? We had her at our June conference here in Atlanta. In the first, I like talked to her, I didn't know her previously, right? Like we met, we we hired her through a speakers bureau. I was, I'm a huge, she's like one of my business icons. So we had talked briefly on a Zoom for like a few minutes, maybe two weeks before. So. I'm backstage, you know, she's about to, we're about to go on stage, do an interview. So I'm backstage when she comes back. 
So, you know, I see her. She gives me and Ronnie, my wife, Ronnie, a hug. And the first thing she said, Ken, is, you got to let me come back. So I'm like, we hadn't gone on the stage yet, but I'm like, yes. Like, whatever you want to come back for, yes, I already know what it is. And the second thing she said is, I want to teach your audience how to go public. Because she's the first black woman to have a publicly traded company on the New York Stock Exchange. So literally that was her, we're talking about the education thing, right? Like the things that we've learned, can we pass that down? She said like, right. like not enough of us are going public and thinking that way. So I literally want to come back to your audience and teach them how to IPO and go public on a stock exchange so they can do what I do, but already did it the hard way so they can do it easier. And that's, ex wow. that's exactly, exactly what I was talking about and what we need. I'm glad you said that because it, it, it literally is a perfect example. Yes. And the last thing I just want to touch on a little bit, and I know that this could also be a whole podcast. I might have to bring you back to talk about what this looks like, because people are both excited and petrified at the same time of AI. They don't understand yeah. it, don't know what it is. Um, for the folks that are like dead set against it and believe that it's going to take their jobs and take all kinds of things, that this thing just showed up this summer. My thing is like, listen, in 2001, there was a movie about this little boy that they wanted to see if he could love. And they put him in a family and nobody knew what he was. And he was an actual robot. You know the name of that movie? It was called AI, Artificial Intelligence. <laughs> this is something that has been in our space for over 22 years. This did not just show up this summer. It just became consumer ready in the last two years. And so if you go back to the 19, late 50s and 60s, I remember growing up, and you probably vaguely remember this, but there was this cartoon character called Dick Tracy. And mm -hmm. Dick Tracy's yep. way of talking to his other cops was a watch on his wrist that he could look into and talk to it. And I remember people saying, that ain't ever gonna happen. And here we are, people talking on their wrist, looking on their wrist, looking at their iPhone, their whole life is in their wrist. And where I'm going with this is that there's this uh, fear of evolution when it comes to technology. And I want to know from you how much of that fear of technology, the evolution of technology, particularly for black entrepreneurs, is permeating itself down. Now, I saw none of it on the training that you guys did the other day, but I don't know if that is reflective of the larger body of black entrepreneurs out there. It's, it's not, it's not right. It's not. And I'm, I'm, I'm very clear and aware our, uh, our traffic sales and profit community is, is different. <laughs> so I think for most black entrepreneurs and just people in general, as I'm having a conversation that are aware, like you said, what most of it is, is fear. But here's the thing. Mm -hmm. It's coming whether you <laughs> whether you approve of it or not, it's coming. So too many times we repeatedly do the same thing, the same cycle in the community where something is coming. We're afraid of it. We don't want to participate in it. We saying that ain't good. That ain't going to work. That whatever negative thing you want to say behind it. But what we don't do is adopt to it early. And the people that adopt early, the people that make all the money. They're the people mm -hmm. that shape and educate everybody else. They're the people that craft the businesses around it. And, and time and time again, everyone listening this probably has a story when they knew they should have got on something earlier. I knew mm -hmm. I should have been investing in the stock exchange. I knew uh, I should have got that Apple. I knew, I remember when Facebook first went public and they said the price was high, it was way high right now, right? Like, like all these different things that we missed the opportunity on, but God keeps presenting us with new opportunities time and time again, but we keep doing the same thing. 
So mm. I think this is revolutionary. The thing I, I attribute it to the most, Ken, I say, this is like my first time on the internet. My first time on the internet, I was at uh, Morgan State. Uh, I was a freshman at Morgan State in Baltimore. Somebody's like, hey, you gotta come to the, to the library on campus. This is crazy. We, on, we surfing the internet. And I went and I couldn't believe what I saw. I couldn't, mm. I, I was just typing in stuff, it was coming up. I was like, what is like, this is a game changer. Is that saying like anybody that really sit down and look at what, what you can do with AI realizes just like that, how much of a game changer it is. So what else, like we, we, we employ um, like 20 W2 employees and they got a bunch of contractors. AI is not replacing the jobs of the people that we have. What it's doing is enhancing them and saying, hey, you know what? Um, how they work is exponentially different, right? What they work on is exponentially different. And at some point, if it does replace somebody's job, the best way for you not to get replaced is be the person know how to use it. And that's Absolutely. all I got to say. <clears throat> wow. So listen, um, we're at time. I want you to tell people how to get in touch with you and tell them how to become part of TSP and all of the other things you got going on. I'm a, I'm probably not his number one fan only because I'm sure there are other fans that, that, that talk more often than I do, but when I'm talking about him, I am this dude's number one fan, and this cat <laughs> is the freaking truth when it comes to business. And if you are serious about starting your business, if you are serious about scaling your business, if you are serious about being innovative in your business, all of the new cutting edge techniques, having your ear to the ground of business, and seeing people, more importantly, that look like you doing the damn thing. That's what I love about. And listen, engagement is off the freaking charts. Whenever I was sitting there and the young lady, I can't remember her name. She said, just put something in the chat. And it was like, it was like, it was like, he's scrolling. And I was like, this is crazy. I'm like, this is like, people are locked in. Like you said, they're different. Your crowd is different, but you know what? This is what's going to happen, Lamar, 25 years from now. You're going to be looking at a slate of people who are at the top echelon of businesses across the world. And they're all going to be telling this story of how they started, like with this group on the Internet called PSP and what that's they it. learned from Lamar and Ronnie Tyler. And that's when your heart is going to explode when you see the level of impact that you're going to have on generational wealth. I say that, I'm prophesizing it. I know what's gonna happen. I can't wait to see it. And I hope that you are as proud of it as we are as proud of you and Ronnie. You guys are incredible. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. Um, if anybody listening, you know, you can find out information about me, about how we help black business owners, right? If you say, hey, I'm looking for a community of purpose-driven entrepreneurs that are serious about having impact, but also serious about making money, right? Uh, you, you, you tired of fooling around people that ain't really serious about what they're doing, come join us. Everything is on the website, Traffic Sales and Profit. That's A-N-D, TrafficSalesAndProfit.com. On there, you can get access to our free Facebook group. Where we do a bunch of trainings that they want earlier today, a bunch of trainings and information in there. We do free summits, free challenges, everything to get you going. We do two events per year in Atlanta and just every resource you need to blow up your business, we got you, TrafficSalesAndProfit.com. Yeah, and just when I got ready to go on a cruise, you stopped doing the cruise. I'm gonna need the cruise to come back, bro. The cruise gotta come back. <laughs> the cruise gotta come back. 
Thank you to all my I Am Pod, uh, I Am Dad podcast listeners today. Thank you for joining us for this conversation. All of his contact information will be at the bottom of his bio on both our social media platforms, our podcast platforms, as well as our YouTube page. Make sure you lock into this brother and his awesome wife. One of these days, I'm going to have to just get her on by herself because she is also a wealth of information as well. Um, you know how I like to leave you. Always be kind to others as you're kind to yourself or you might find yourself by yourself. Always shoot high for your goals because even if you miss, you'll be amongst the stars. And as my good friend Art Mitchell used to always say to me, it's nice to be important, but you know what? It's more important to be nice. I love you and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Until next Sunday, peace out. Thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us. You've been listening to I Am Dad Podcast. We hope that you have been informed, encouraged you to think, or even inspired your heart for the love of dads. The conversation does not end here. Come back and join us next week. Same time, same place. Or you can continue the dialogue on our I Am Dad Facebook page. We also invite you to listen to past episodes, learn more about us, and keep up with special activities by visiting IamDadPodcast.com. That's IamDadPodcast.com. Until next time. I leave you with this reminder of manhood from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things because of this reminder. I will always understand that I am dad, period.